welcome to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. I'm Ella May, the founder and director of Vava Womb and Mind Over MRKH, and I'll be talking all things MRKH, aka Mayer Rokitansky Kuster Hauser Syndrome, aka Malariogenesis. I am one of the one in 5,000 female babies born worldwide without or an underdeveloped womb, cervix and vaginal canal. On this podcast, I'll be talking all things MRKH from pleasure to dilating, mental and sexual health, fertility and navigating your MRKH journey. I'll be joined by advocates and experts along the way. This podcast aims to support the production and printing of the MRKH magazine project, where we aim to produce, print and post a magazine to our global MRKH community. If you want to join me on this podcast or ask me a question, pop me an email over at mindovermrkh at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at mindovermrkh. You are not alone. You are worthy and you are loved. Rima Sagaitis is the founder of Sumavi and the Trusted Circle, which provides coaching, unconditional support and a way forward to people with MRKH and to the people who love people with MRKH, like parents, partners and family members. After years of dedicated self-growth, running her own consulting business and developing training programs for corporations, she took her skills in adult learning and development and coaching to focus on what really matters, helping people transform their relationship with MRKH to live a full and beautiful life. She created Sumavi to provide the kind of support that she wished she'd had growing up with MRKH. Sumavi's mission is to help you take a step forward in your MRKH journey. With each step, let go of what burdens you, learn to build confidence and learn to love yourself, MRKH and all. We cannot wait to have Rima on the podcast. A big warm welcome, Rima, to the podcast. Thank you so much. (laughs) So nice to have you here and it's so nice to have met you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> um, Rima yeah. is founder of Samavi. Could you just introduce yourself for the listeners? Sure. I am Rima. I um, was born and raised in Chicago and grew up with MRKH and about six months ago launched Sumavi and it was after a long journey and wanting to bring support, the kind that I wish I would have had as a kid. Oh, so nice to have you. And I've seen all of the things you were doing online and with the Trusted Circle, and I can't wait to hear more about it. Um, how was your new year in Christmas in Chicago? Has it all been okay with the dreaded C word of virus? <laughs> it's actually been okay. You know, knock on wood, yeah. I was in Arizona over the holidays, so slightly warmer than Chicago is. And then back to Chicago for the new year. So a little bit of warm, a little bit of freezing cold. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's been a little bit weird and warm here, actually, but it's, it's starting to get really, really cold. Um, anyway, why am I, I need to stop talking about the weather. I do this all the time. I'm like, how's the weather where you are? <laughs> um, Rima, I was just going to ask you a bit about teenage you, because I know that you probably um, done some blogs and things on your uh, Sumavi website, but I haven't 
uh, actually heard much about your sort of teenage years of, with your diagnosis and being a young person with MRKH. Um, could you tell us a bit about your diagnosis story and um, a bit about your teenage self living with MRKH, if that's all mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that'd be great. So I, at around 16, uh, went to my mom asking what I should do because I hadn't gotten my period yet. So we went to a gynecologist and he, we did an examination and he misdiagnosed me. So he thought that I just had a hymen that hadn't broken through and wasn't mm -hmm. allowing the menstruation cycle, the period to get through. So not knowing any different, um, we went with that and he, his treatment was a couple times a week, I would come into the office and he would try to break through the hymen. No, with, so he was I, I guess with a dilator, what would have been a dilator, but um, thinking that was the solution. And so that was my first exposure to gynecology um, and that part of my body, right? Mm. Um, so after a couple of weeks, my mom realized that this was not working. This is not the right thing. We went to a different gynecologist and he suggested we do a laparoscopy, which is where you put a tiny little mm -hmm. needle into your abdomen and it basically looks around to see what's going on. Um, so during the lapro laparoscopy is where mm -hmm. they were able to identify that I didn't have a uterus, I had ovaries. Um, so when I came out of anesthesia, uh, I got the news from my mom that I didn't have a uterus and so they told your mom first because you were quite young and yeah yeah 16 mm -hmm. so they oh, told my yeah. mom and then she delivered the news to me I don't think I actually in that moment knew it was called MRKH or Irokotansky mm -hmm. Kusterhauser syndrome but um so we knew from that moment that we needed to figure out what to do. Um, so we went to the specialist in the area and the specialist by that, I mean, he was a doctor who had seen one case once before. Wow. And so I went in to visit him and his solution was, you know, you have to have surgery, you get surgery A or surgery B, which one do you want? I have an opening next Tuesday. Um, such a, yeah, I think I had someone in the previous podcast had a similar experience of like the immediate response with a lot of medical people, especially in America is surgery. And they kind of straight away go, this is exactly the result and what you need. And it must be kind of a horrible feeling to think that you need to be fixed almost. Yeah. And, you know, we hear a lot about that word being fixed or, you mm. know, to make people normal. And I don't know that I had any reaction to those type of words yet. It just seemed that, um, yeah, the urgency was scary, mm. you know, and the need to book the appointment, you know, next week or the week after made it seem um, overwhelming. And so, we did, you know, we know, we knew enough to go for a second opinion. So then I went with my father to a different gynecologist. And so he did an exam. And so um, sitting in a room with another male gynecologist and my father talking about my mm -hmm. vagina, explaining you have surgery A option or surgery B option. 
um, was so uncomfortable. You know, I don't think I had ever said the word vagina out loud at that point. Um, and to be there with two grown men, one being my father, which we didn't talk about those things. So, um, I had my dad at one of mine too, but it was really awkward. <laughs> so the, um, what the second opinion did confirm though, is that you have a surgical option and that's it. So we went with the expert who was the surgeon who had done the Mac and Doe procedure once before. Um, and so like within a week or two, I was booked. I graduated high school. I was booked like the week after to go in for surgery. And it was done at a teaching hospital in Chicago. And so um, at the teaching hospital, you know, I did the surgery, had the surgery, and mm -hmm. that also means there's a lot of residents that are studying and have never seen anything like this. So I had a lot of curious residents coming in to see what was going on and to take a look at the surgical area, which was basically my vagina. Mm -hmm. And because they were curious, it reminded me a lot of, have you ever seen Grey's Anatomy? I haven't watched all of it, but I've definitely seen a couple of them. But which bit? Sure, of like it? any medical show where the <laughs> residents are like, "Oh my god, this is so interesting. Let's go in and see what Let's it is." Let's go and look at them. That yeah. There's a person attached to it, yeah. and so it's so we're not just a body part, <laughs> right? Exactly. So it was, um, you know, that that was not comfortable at all. Um, mm. And I think after that, um, after the recovery. I basically had a couple checkups, but I feel like the medical journey ended as did my flow of information. Um, you know, I knew I, after the surgery needed to dilate a little bit, um, but I never really knew for how long or, you know, I didn't really know the protocols that we know today. Mm -hmm. um, and when I would go in for a checkup with a gynecologist, um, I felt like he kept asking me, so have you had sex yet? And, um, you know, at that point, it wasn't the time in my life. I wasn't ready. Almost a pressure. Anybody. Exactly. Yeah. And I, mm. I felt like he wanted to test out his work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was not comfortable. And I think he was advanced enough to know, or I, I don't know, advanced isn't the word. Um, uh, conscientious enough to know mm. that maybe I would need some emotional support or some psychological support. So he suggested I see a psychologist. So he booked an appointment with me um, for me with a sex therapist. And the sex therapist mm. was also training somebody. So in my first appointment, she said, oh, you don't mind if so-and-so sits in and listens to this. And you're like, again, I'm not an experiment yet. Oh. And also a sex therapist isn't psychological support for a young teenage 16 year old who hasn't had sex yet. It's just fascinating the different, everyone's different journeys because someone else um, had said, Badia had said around her um, surgery that she didn't have any dilation information. You had like really limited dilation information. So you didn't have any access to any sort of MRKH information or support that says about dilating or anything afterwards. Uh, no, not at all. Not I mean, and I, I think all I knew is I one time came across um, an article about MRK mm -hmm. and it, 
you know, back in those days, the statistic, the, the misinformation was incredible. I think it quoted one in 100,000 women have this. Um, and then, yeah, I, there was, you know, there wasn't an online in those days, you know, there yeah. wasn't something to Google at the time. So there was no way to get other information. So yeah, it, was a, it was a huge vacuum for a long time. Sorry, I interrupted a bit about your the sex therapist as well. How was that? How was the, the sex? Did you so did someone actually came in to listen to you and speaking to this therapist just to talk? And she, and you were sixteen at the time that you had this therapist, right? I was sixteen, so um, yep. The person, her student, sat in mm -hmm. taking notes, and she basically started off with, "So, how do you feel about not having kids?" And my answer was, you know, I. It's not in my near future right now at 16. So mm. it's not so upsetting. I know I'll be upset about it one day. And I think right in that moment is how I formed my coping mechanism by I will feel it later. You know, mm. um, I don't remember much else about the conversation. And I don't think I would have been knowing myself. I probably was not very open given that there was somebody else watching. But it was, I don't know, to me, the experience was um, really difficult in that, like the whole thing from being with grown men talking about my private area and being, you know, before I was even comfortable with it, and then being in a teaching hospital and having uh, other people investigate what was going on with my surgery and having even my emotional uh, self be exposed mm. in this way by having an additional person in the room. So I felt like it wasn't, you know, my body wasn't my own anymore and that none of that felt very safe. And so I was quick to put up some pretty strong walls and boundaries. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it sounds it sounds really tough and and like we said every diagnosis story is different and everyone there's so many people that must feel like that science experiment when they get diagnosed with someone because lots of medical staff don't know you suddenly just feel like they just want to investigate you rather than look after you almost and mm -hmm. you just you just need love and support and someone to tell you that you're not alone and someone to give you the information and someone to offer you some like, emotional psychological help than just trying to investigate you and look at your body and open it up and yeah just yeah I'm it's just sad that so many people have to go for that and I know it's I know it's getting so much better now but there's still it's just such a shame isn't it that people have had this experience of MRKH um so I guess you touched on a bit around the medical support that you had which wasn't great <laughs> um was there anything else you wanted to add like how did you cope with as a young person with mrkh and what were the kind of hardest moments for you dealing with mrkh i think definitely that coping mechanism that sort of surfaced in the moment mm -hmm. was to push the feelings away and push them down and so when i look back i think oh it really wasn't that hard at all because mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't dealing with it. Um, and I think by doing that, I sort of lit, 
I don't, this may sound weird, but I was living from the neck up. Like I was very logical. I was very analytical and mm -hmm. I didn't um, allow much room for my feelings, right? And so I pushed them away because that was the easier way to do it. And I, I feel that in doing so, I sort of denied parts of myself. I ignored parts of myself. And I even, um, like I even denied parts of the diagnosis. I was willing to talk about, oh yeah, I don't have a uterus, but that's where mm -hmm. I was stuck. Um, I wasn't comfortable talking about the underdeveloped vagina or, you know, so I really segmented my feelings from my thoughts um, and really uh, othered myself, I think. So it seemed to work for a good long time. <laughs> but just bubbling away. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just mm -hmm. waiting for the right time. So eating away on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's such a common theme, isn't it, with MRKH is just not wanting to deal with it because we're so young and we're not ready to talk about pregnancy and having kids and they're kind of forced into talking about it and I was the same with not wanting to talk about my vagina with my parents with my sister just with anyone because who does sit and talk about their vagina um so when it comes to like talking and telling others how did you find like disclosing um MRKH with family and friends did you have much support like did you have a sort of support network around it or did you just keep it to yourself? How was, how was that for you? My family is very loving. And um, so I feel I was supported, but uh, definitely, you know, my mom was aware of what was going on. My sister was very aware as was my dad. Um, but I really felt like once the healing of the surgery was over, uh, we stopped talking about it, partly because that's my personality. Um, it was hard for me to talk about it at the time. And I know my family was respecting my privacy, but um, really the, so with the, my family, we didn't really address it ever mm -hmm. again. Um, I had so much so that when I finally went decades later to a conference that was for MRKH. My sister said, so how was that conference that you went to for that thing that you have? So it was very obvious. Like it yeah. wasn't even a, a word that my family recognized or mm. when I had mentioned to my mother that I had built Sumabi and it was gonna focus on MRKH. Mm. And she goes, oh honey, what's MRKH? because we didn't talk about it. Yeah. So I did have um, good friends and on a, probably I can count on one hand, the people that I was willing to share it with. And I felt like that went well, people were supportive. Yeah. Um, and even, this was a little bit later, but one of my close friends was having a baby and she recognized think the importance of it. And so she actually invited me to be in the delivery room with her when she had her baby. Oh, wow. How was that? How was that for you? Super emotional. I mean, it was exciting. Yeah. I was nervous. Um, I was really touched that 
she thought to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, I really treasure that moment because, you know, it's not likely that I'll be in a delivery room again, but it was amazing. I feel similar when it comes to my pregnant friends. I'm very interested in it and kind of want to know loads about it just because I'm not going to have that experience and I'm not sure about surrogacy and if I'm going to go for anything in the future. But um, yeah, I feel I'm, I'm one of those intrigued friends who goes, tell me this, how, how do you do this? How do you breastfeed? How do you do this? But that is, yeah, what an amazing moment for you. Um, so I guess as a young woman with MRKH, there was you said something earlier around you didn't feel like your body was yours was there a moment or a time in your life where you started to um I don't build a relationship with your body I think there was one moment but I it happened over time Mm. and to me it was um like putting a puzzle together and then waiting to find out what the picture was going to look like versus working from the picture on the box and then trying to recreate that. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that um, I wanted to feel better about myself, both, you know, self-esteem, confidence, you know, those things had taken a hit over the years Mm -hmm. um, because of that. Um, Even, you know, questioning my femininity. So I knew that I wanted to feel better about myself and I knew it was possible, right? So I um, sought out therapy Mm -hmm. as early as, you know, in my twenties on my own. Um, and I felt like I've had lots of different therapists that I've gotten to know over the years. And I think with each one, I grew a little bit more, learned a little bit more about myself. Um, I also feel that when I started to take care of my own body. So um, figuring out that I needed to dilate, I felt that physically that got me in touch with my own body that maybe I wouldn't have if I hadn't been dilating or um, needing to do that, right? So it helped me get to know my body physically. And I felt Mm -hmm. I was willing to be on this journey to sort of reach a happier state. And so it happened little by little where the more I um, got comfortable with myself, the more I learned and was willing to look inside because there was, I learned over time that by looking on the outside, that wasn't going to bring me happiness or that wasn't going to validate me. So uh, it probably started in college and then just was a continued journey forever. Um, and still now it's probably a continued journey we're all on it aren't we yeah and I guess the support you had when you were younger well lack of support did you get did you seek any further support throughout your journey in your 20s or 30s with MRKH in the kind of medical world or did you just end that when you felt like they were using you as a bit of an experiment did you kind of step away from seeking any MRKH uh, help That's a good way of putting it. Um, I did step away from it, I guess. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, I didn't realize I had done that, but uh, I was no longer near that one doctor that had done the surgery. And I had gynecologists, but um, they didn't know anything about it. They didn't really know or have any advice in terms of how to take 
care of my body, anything about dilating, anything mm -hmm. like that. So um, it, I just stopped looking because when I did look, I didn't find anything. You know, there weren't any support groups. There weren't. Mm -hmm. um, so medically, I stopped looking. Um, and then emotionally and psychologically, I always looked. I always, mm. um, you know, I had great friends to talk to, so I didn't feel I need, I wanted therapy for a venting session, but I wanted it for insight and to help me figure out me a little bit better and mm. to gain the strength and the peace and the confidence that I knew I could have. And so um, I always, if I found a therapist that didn't quite click with me, I might took might have taken a little time off and then met another one. So there was one that I met for a long time that uh, I feel I grew a ton with. Mm. Um, and, and to this day, I still work with a coach, you know? So as a coach, I believe in coaching as well. And so um, I would never advocate something that I don't do for myself. Mm. And so for me, coaching is something that really I've grown so much from and was a nice extension of therapy that I had had earlier. And so I don't, to me, it's like working out. I don't know that I, mm. I might take a break every now and then, just like I do with my workouts. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I fall off the wagon a little bit, but then um, I really feel that it helps me stay in tune with um, my inner strength and mm. Um, I've learned over the years that, you know, I really thought that by being strong and silent and not talking about the feelings that that was a sign of strength. I didn't need any mm -hmm. of that. And I really learned that it's the opposite, that it takes a super strong person to be willing to look inside, look at um, how you think, why you think the way you do and how how our thoughts are really contributing to how we live in our happiness, that we actually mm. can do something about it. So, you know what, you've really helped me with picturing um, therapy in a different way, because I sort of go, oh, do I need to have a vent and a cry? Do I need to book some therapy? And it isn't just about that. You can, like you just said there, you can sit there and really kind of an analyze and think about how, how you, and sort of get insight into your mind and how you think and that's such an interesting way to put it because I I think I I picture therapy in, in the wrong way and probably more of a I think it's really important for everyone to get it but if I sort of feel okay and I don't really think I'm crying a lot or I feel emotionally stable I feel well, maybe I don't need it but I feel like coaching and therapy is something that everyone could do with at any stage of their life and how about you in the kind of the last so I don't know, 10 years or so, what was, what have you learned about yourself with MRKH? And not about kind of Samavi and starting that yet. Um, but yeah, what has MRKH taught you about yourself? So I think what MRKH has taught me is that we all have, we're all created differently. Um, some of those differences we're willing to celebrate and some of those we've chosen to hide because we are ashamed of them for some reason, but everybody has their thing. And if we're willing to, if we're trying to hide it, then it just gets heavier and more burdensome. Mm -hmm. And 
it becomes like a weight around our ankles. And if we're willing to look at it and see what is it about that thing, that difference, what is it telling us? Then it gets a little bit lighter, you know, and it's when so we should, when we are willing to look at it, you know, so when it comes to MRKH, for example, you know, in the people that I've coached or even with myself, say, um, you know, you question your, your worth, mm. you know, and it, you really can start to ask yourself, well, where is that coming from? You know, who first told you, or where did you first learn that you need to what do was the this? root of that? Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and so MRKH has, has taught me that, that by mm. willing to look at things, things will get easier. Um, and then it's also made me learn about my own body and really mm. get a sense of what my strengths are. So I don't know that I would have paid that close of attention before, but we sort of had to. That's so true, actually. And just what you said a minute ago about the weight, I actually, it reminded me, I, I made a little, um, almost like a little workshop slash journal prompt about imagining things that around MRKH is weights and what's weighing you down and stuff like that and it just reminded me so like you said me questioning my worth is like 10 stone on my feet <laughs> and what's weighing you down the most and it's so true that there's just little things that we can just lift if we just pay more attention to it and and it's that's also so right about our bodies I don't think that I would have been in this such a self-explorative mode in my life if I didn't have MRKH and all the stuff I do is around right. body exploring and pleasure and self-love and how much of that is MRKH and I think for me a lot of that is so that's so true it's it's so so true and I think similarly to you that's that's definitely things I've learned about myself is way more than I probably would have ever if I didn't have MRKH mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I'm the self-explorer like you on the self-explorer and so we're just going to move on to Samavi if that's okay um so Rima let's talk about Samavi so when did mm -hmm. you start Samavi and what is it all about and I just can't wait to hear all about Samavi and the journey you've been on to launching it Samavi launched about six months ago but the journey started probably about a year before that um I had actually been on vacation with a friend at a beach and saw a man walk by and he had a lot, a lot of scars on him. Like he had been in a fire or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking in that split second, um, oh my gosh, he's so lucky. His scars are on the outside. And in that moment, I realized when I thought that, that I felt that I had been carrying and hiding these scars from the inside. Um, and that, that feeling of letting go of all of that was so liberating of not hiding that. And thinking back to the journey that I had, which I feel like was by myself in terms of, you know, no real information, not a whole lot of, there wasn't advocacy at the time or anything mm -hmm. like that. So sitting there, I thought with all these, you know, background in training and coaching and adult learning, I want to use all that for something that matters. And what matters mm -hmm. the most to me is 
is this, this long journey that I've been on and that it could be easier. It could, you could get to the point of accepting yourself and loving yourself so much sooner if you had support. So I thought I wanted to take any of the skills that I had developed over the years and use it towards that. And so that's really where it started. Um, I thought, like, yes, the corporate world was providing a living for me, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything I was passionate about. Um, you know, and it wouldn't matter if I was there or wasn't there in the corporate world. But I thought where I could really help is in our MRKH community because um, everybody needs some sort of support. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where the idea came from. And I just looked at sort of the bucket of skills that I had developed over the years and thought, what could I do with that? And I thought, mm -hmm. um, and then I, so after decades of not looking online because I never knew there was anything there. I started to look and realize that we have some other amazing organizations. Um, and I thought that my skill set of coaching and personal development was a really nice addition to it. Um, Definitely. Because I think a buddy system and uh, meeting somebody and, and venting and talking about shared experience is so important. But the question that comes up for me is, then what, hmm. right? What do I do after I vent it? How do I actually take a step forward? Hmm. What, what's, you know, I don't, so I thought, oh, that's where I can help, right? That's where, and that's what coaching is all about is, is helping people figure out like, what is their next step forward? Um, so it was those things that, um, so then I started putting together uh, sort of the plan and what it is. Um, so exciting. And like you said, it is it was definitely something that the community needed. I remember um, Beautiful You had sponsored a few of your sessions. And it's just it's just a really cool thing that someone with MRKH is really, really helping someone else with MRKH just thrive and and just, um, well, you know more about it than I do. <laughs> <laughs> what is coaching? So what are the benefits of coaching? <laughs> it'd be great, yeah, it'd be great to just know a bit more because I personally, I don't, I know of coaching and I've sort of, I've touched on it throughout my workplace and in managing a team and things like that throughout my career, but I have never kind of looked into it in a personal way. So I'd love to just know like from scratch, what is coaching and what are the benefits of coaching? So coaching is... Um, sort of a partnership between the coach and coachee or client mm -hmm. or whatever. And it is helping you figure out what your own strengths are, where you want to go, and what's getting in your way of getting there. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, the benefits are you know, you get to know yourself, you mm. are moving towards the life and self-perception that you want. Um, so that sounds like very vague. Um, no, but what, yeah, what would be the reasons, Rima, that someone might ask you or come and see you or come to some of your sessions? What might they be going through that they want to, they go, ah, oh, Samavi, that would work for me. 
Um, yeah, that's a great question. I actually might turn that question around on you. Um, oh. <laughs> so when you think back to your 20-year-old self, yeah. what are some of the things that, what are some of the challenges that MRKH was presenting in your life? I see I'm getting coaching with Rima exciting um getting a taster um so 20 year old me I I think I really really struggled with confidence and letting my MRKH insecurities which are like invisible insecurities because I didn't tell that many people at that age take over like my I don't know self-esteem almost and like the way I looked mm-hmm. the way I spoke the way I I didn't really kind of um, articulate myself very well at that age. Part of it was drinking a lot, just being generally young. And <laughs> but I did start in a, at a um, housing association, working with lots of managers and different people when I was eighteen, like a corporate world. And I remember just feeling just not as confident as everyone else at just standing up and saying things. And I'd get really, really anxious. So a lot of my issues were anxiety and self-esteem. So could I come to you for some help? (laughs) And when you think about like, that's an amazing um, reflection on how you were feeling Mm. at the time. And when you think about not feeling confident and what, um, where would you, what would you say you were feeling? What's the feeling it created in you? I think like overwhelm overwhelm almost Mm -hmm. like I just felt like I didn't know how to because I wasn't telling people about MRKH and I wasn't necessarily opening up outside of work or outside of the places I wanted to feel more confident it was almost just bubbling away and and sort of just knocking bits of me every time I wanted to do something when it whether it be do a presentation or I don't know stand up in front of people and talk or give an opinion at a table I just felt anxious mm-hmm. um and a lot of that was yeah I think just 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 feeling overwhelmed with that I'm not going to say something right or I, I just I just don't feel like a confident person or um and I think I was always worried actually Rima about what people thought of me and about is someone looking at me in a different way or are they anyway yeah so I, I was gen- I always worried about other people's perception of me and I've over the years started to worry less about what people think of me um but yeah that's overwhelm is the, is the main feeling <laughs> well and it makes total sense because mm. if you are so busy trying to keep this part of you a secret mm. that and you're concerned about what other people are thinking there's a mm. lot going on in your mind let alone what you're actually dealing with in day-to-day life So had, in those times, had somebody found out that you had MRKH Mm. while you were trying to keep it a secret, what was the story that you were telling yourself? What do you, what did you believe down deep that would happen if it got out? So back then, I... It's a hard one because I think for me it was scenario based and situational based so at mm-hmm. work so we'll maybe focus on work because I think when I was in the workplace if anyone mentioned a pregnancy or 
something I don't know periods or have you got a tampon I would just sink almost literally sink into my seat and just go oh and have no idea what to say and and I couldn't think of anything worse than saying I don't have periods when I was 19 20 and working at this place um so yeah I think my biggest fear would be the shock factor of because it's the stigma talking about anything in the office let alone your vagina and your womb and things that are missing so for me it was the shock factor and it was sort of me taking on I was sort of felt okay with it at that time and I was I had um friends and 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 I had told a few people but in the workplace my biggest I guess fear was other people reacting to if if I would have ever said oh I've got MRKH this is what it means a few years ago that was so stigmatized and, and it's only recently that they've started talking about infertility and opening up about mental health in the workplace so it was just me worried more about that person's reaction because almost taking on their anxiety rather than my own um, right. so yeah it was a, it was a hard one and, and it didn't in the work in like at work it didn't come up much but there's a lot of conversations around I was in a relationship oh when are you guys thinking of having kids and I would just I would just hide it with a bullshit story around I don't know just they would know they wouldn't know I was any different because I just never never have opened up when I was that age um so it was yeah it was a lot it was just hiding stuff and just pretending you don't have tampons and just the same as I did at school and I almost felt like I was back at school when I was at work <laughs> same stories well and that's exactly what so many of us do right where we create this story that if the secret gets out, then this will happen. Mm. And our ego, there's a side of ourselves that attaches to that story. Mm. And then we, it's almost like we lasso it and we hang on to it because we know this part is true. But in the end, it's not about what the other person thinks. Mm. It's not about um, what somebody's reaction would be it's about what's coming from the inside. And so in coaching, we sort of get at what is the actual truth, Mm. right? Like you said, Um, the root cause of those feelings. Where is is the feeling coming from? And what is the, where is your source of strength? And it's Mm. sort of uncovering that so you can hang on to the truth of it. The truth is you wouldn't have fallen apart if somebody was surprised by finding that out. Mm -hmm. The truth is that um, you would still be your beautiful LMA, amazing Mm -hmm. personality and all that, regardless of that. And it's finding a way to believe it. So it's really looking at what are those stories that we're telling Mm -hmm. ourselves that we either have been fed from when we're little um, that are just so ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. How do we find them first? How do we dismantle them? And then how do we move forward with just the true parts of ourselves, right? Our true worth, our true love, our true beauty from the inside. I love that. What you said a second ago about finding the truth of where your strength came from. And our strength did come from those horrible moments where you go, ah, I don't know what to do with that MRKH. Or, and it's slowly like, but surely I've just became more and more confident as a person just but yeah it's it's it's, a, it's like a um like you're talking about untangling and the puzzle pieces of who we are beneath all of this like I'm LMA now but it's taken me what 10-15 years to get to the to stage I am at now with MRKH and my journey so 
um yeah I think it would be to be honest it'd be really good for me to dig out those those bits and bobs that I've sort of like the um distorted memories of me being young and because even then you asked me and I was going god yeah I felt really shit when I was at work and I didn't tell anyone and <laughs> and you just kind of put those things behind you and you and even though I now feel like I'm advocating and doing all this stuff and I do a lot of sort of self-exploring exercises but it's it's not it's kind of rare for me to sit back and go right what was my truth and what what was my story um because I'm now so obsessed with figuring out what other people's stories are. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's especially important for people who advocate mm. for others because you can easily ignore your own mm. needs in that exactly. process and you can almost hide behind it too, mm. right? It would be so easy for me to drop the coaching because I didn't have time for my own and to stop looking mm. at why I think a certain way or uh, what's triggering me and what's getting, what's blocking me from getting to where I want to get to. So I think it's, it's important for everybody. I believe in it, but I also think it's incredibly important for those of us that do advocate for others. Mm. So you include. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone. And this is what I also advocate for is that advocates need support too. And we all are in the same boat. We're all really passionate about MRKH. And like you said, you're getting your own coaching whilst coaching. I might seek help elsewhere whilst also helping others. And I did when I first started my advocacy journey, I definitely masked a lot of just putting loads of effort into doing stuff just because I wasn't really dealing with my own stuff I did go through a um, year or two at the beginning of really self sort of like practicing what I preach because I preached the whole self-exploration and like you said digging digging your past um, but I still have got a lot to dig and, and look at and kind of appre like appreciate myself a bit more for what I've been through what we've all been through um oh thanks Rima that was that was a nice little experience I like it when the interview switches it makes one like oh <laughs> Um, is there anything else you wanted to add about Samavi? So what, what are the plans for it and what's what's next? Is there like events coming up and things you want to, I, I guess, promote and talk about? <laughs> sure. Well, Samavi, we have um, basically two ways to get coaching. Mm -hmm. You can do a coaching package where it's just one-on-one -on -one sessions mm -hmm. fully dedicated to you and what you're trying to work through. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's also a membership, it's a membership community called the Trusted Circle. And so in the Trusted Circle, uh, we have weekly group coaching mm -hmm. where we focus either on mindset, sometimes just community getting to know each other or working through some more difficult topics or issues that we might have. Mm -hmm. So there's something every day. We have additional uh, events like book clubs and we're having a new year's kickoff event uh this thursday oh, cool. um we have guest experts coming to visit so we have one later on this month um there's online office hours so i really worked it out so there's some sort of support available all the time mm. um and so i think that's a great way for people who want to connect with the community and want to, but with the focus of moving through something. So um, it's really exciting. You could either do your one-on-one -on -one path mm -hmm. or you can do the membership, which is really exciting. It's really exciting. No, all mm -hmm. the stuff you're doing is amazing. I think 
it's such a nice space to be in because like you said there's different pages and organizations doing loads of different stuff but this is kind of like a really something that I'd personally be really interested in doing and and I think so many people could benefit from just having that extra level of like navigate navigating our MRKH lives and digging out our pasts and kind of like all thriving and and moving forward with our lives (laughs) um speaking of moving forward I had a little question here for you around if all your dreams came true in the next year what would happen if all my (laughs) dreams came true for this next year um we would have tons of people in the trusted circle membership and um so many people (laughs) willing to work on themselves Mm. and uh really living beautifully with MRKH, right? Rather than coping with it, dealing with it. Mm. Um, That would be my dream for the next year that people are willing to focus on themselves and on their well-being. And then I think we have a happier, healthier community. I love that it's almost like living living with MRKH and thriving with it rather than letting it consume you and kind of weigh you down like you said Mm -hmm. earlier so yeah that's really really exciting um and how about you Rima so how's I mean outside of some RV and the MRKH world how do you balance your kind of MRKH work and advocacy with your day-to-day life living as Rima with MRKH um how do I balance it I, well, I make sure I take time for myself. So whether it's through coaching or like a morning practice, um, next week I'm taking a week long meditation retreat. So I focus on that. Um, I do work from home and run my own business. So it's a Mm. consulting business. So I'm able to sort of adjust the hours. So as we grow Sumavi, I'm able to scale back a little bit to make room for it. Mm. That was my oh, exciting. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it was going to happen at some time. Right, we're nearing uh-huh. the end. Um, we are, I ask all the podcast guests. I'll wait for you. Oh, look. Rima's is. <laughs> dog is on the podcast, everyone. What's your dog called? Lolo. Uh, Lola. Lolo. Oh, Lolo. I was going to say my dog's called Lola. That would have been cute. I could have got Lola on the screen as well. She's over there asleep. (laughs) Um, So we end all of our podcasts with a message to, well, actually, I've asked you a different question. We end all our podcasts with a message to the next person being diagnosed. But because of your expertise in coaching, I've actually put on here, what is your message to someone with MRKH who feels that they might never find happiness? So to somebody who's living with MRKH and thinks that they all never find happiness. Mm -hmm. My message would be that it's absolutely possible and it's 100% in your your power, that Mm -hmm. this is something we all have in us and you can get to it. So believe in that and be willing to take that first step. Mm -hmm. And then there are people out here in the community, whether it's Sumavi or Mind Over MRKH that are willing to help you to get there, but it is um, 
it is absolutely something that you can get to and plan your life with it. Love that. And did you want to leave a message for the next younger person being diagnosed? If you're newly diagnosed, be patient with yourself. Um, pay attention to how you're feeling and what your needs are. Get the information that you need and build a circle around yourself of, of people that you can trust and confide in. So maybe that's your family, maybe it's a close friend, or maybe it's somebody in our community, but it's, we are so much stronger together. And so reach out to somebody in our community, in the MRKH community. We have so many amazing people. It is, and I sometimes feel really happy to be part of this community. Oh, I loved your messages, Rima. They touched my heart. <laughs> um, and we've spoken about Samavi um, and how people can join. So I'll obviously plug all Rima's websites and everything in the description of the podcast. Um, but Rima, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so lovely to have you. And thank you for your insight into coaching and for taking me back to my 20 year old self. That felt like oh, a bit weird, <laughs> but good in like a good way. Um, so, yeah, it's so nice to have you. Have you enjoyed yourself? I have. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. It's been an honor to be here and thanks for willing to play along. Uh, it's been great. Oh, no. Thank you so much for coming on. Anyway, I will speak to you soon. Take care. I loved that episode with Rima and cannot wait to see what the future holds for Sumavi and all the people who are part of the Trusted Circle. To follow and support Rima or to join Samavi and the Trusted Circle, go to samavi.com, which is S-U-M-A-A-V-I.com. Thank you again, Rima. Thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. We will have regular new episodes, so please follow and subscribe. If you want to come for a chat, get in touch. And to everyone with MRKH, you are not alone.